Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's October the 15th, 2021, and you are invited to join me and my dear friend and longtime co-host Rebecca Hoffer of SimplyRebecca.com as we share a great and fascinating conversation about birth order. We are wondering how much of our personalities are determined by what place you took in the birth order of your family of origin. What other factors could impact that? Does this guide our experience of life? And if it does, in what ways does it tell us how we're going to navigate through the world? We have such a great conversation ahead. Like I said, this is some fascinating stuff. Whether you're a true believer in the importance of birth order, or if you're a little skeptical about it, either way, buckle up because we have got some great things to share with you today. I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome back, Awesomes, to the show that is all about helping you find conversation, friendship, and community. If you've been looking for amazing women to connect with and a community that will support you no matter what your age and stage of life you are in, I am so thrilled to tell you that you have come to the right place. And speaking of places, we would love to have you join us in our online community in all of the places. So come hang out with us on Facebook. It's the heart of our community and the Sorta Awesome Hangout group over there. And come see what we have going on on Instagram, episode updates, discussions, all kinds of things. We would love to have you jump in and join us at Sorta Awesome Show on Instagram. We have so much to talk about. Rebecca, hello and how are you? Hi, I am thrilled to be here. How are you doing, Meg? I'm really good. I think that, okay, so here's the thing. This is a topic that you and I have kind of deliberated, discussed, having this conversation for Sort of Awesome for a while. As we go, we're mid-October, believe it or not. We're in the downhill slide to the holidays. I think this is the perfect time to talk about birth order because pretty soon those of us who are in a place where we can have communication with our families, maybe we're getting together for the holidays if time and COVID restrictions and all of that allow we're going to be back together with families of origin, maybe our partner's family of origin. I have to tell you, Rebecca, I'm 44 years old. When I am with my siblings at my parents' home, believe it or not, even in our 40s, we slide back into these birth order roles and it happens like almost every time. Have you experienced this too? 100%. It's so true. It's so true. I am the baby of the family and I'm never more 
true baby than I am when I am at my parents' house. (laughs) (laughs) I am sure there are so many people that can relate to this. You guys, there is so much to unpack when we talk about birth order. Yes, of course, there are the sort of pop culture memes about how and when and where birth order impacts us as full-grown adults, how we see it in our children. But Rebecca has really done some deep digging. She's got some things to share. I'm going to share some things. I think you're going to find this conversation really fascinating. So we're going to get to all of that here in just a few minutes. But before we do, let's go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our awesomes of the week. If you're new to sort of awesome, awesome of the week is the moment in the show where we stop and talk about whatever's making life a little more awesome right now, whether it's a book or a TV show, movie, a podcast, a product, something that's bringing a little extra sparkly gold goodness to our lives. Rebecca, what do you have for awesome of the week this week? Okay, well, I have been experiencing a not so awesome problem in my life, and that has been some pretty significant neck pain. Oh, no. Yeah, it's actually been quite a bummer. However, I'm feeling much better. And I wanted to share some things that have been helping me, some things that make my literal pain in the neck a little less (laughs) of a pain in the neck. (laughs) Perfect. Tell me everything. This is something that I struggle with from time to time, too. Tell me everything that you have found that is awesome about this. Okay. And also, I shared some of this with our superstar supporters in a recent Overflow episode. So if This type of behind the scenes talk is really intriguing to you. Make sure that you look us up on Patreon to become a supporter of the show. So I have had a lot of neck pain, but in general, I do tend to like carry tension and stress in my neck. And I have found a few things that have really helped. I'll just be very upfront and honest that this is not medical advice and that I was dealing with something here more recently that was a lot more severe a simple stretch was not cutting it. So like if you're actually really dealing with some neck stuff, obviously this is not medical advice. Talk to your doctor. However, two things that really help me when I'm just dealing with mostly just regular stress tension, I'm just feeling tight. The first one is a heating pad for my neck. And I think a lot of people own heating pads for various ailments. If you do not own one, this is your sign to finally step up and get one because they are so nice. They're so handy to have. The kind that I have, I can put in the microwave and it heats up and then I wrap it around my neck. It's weighted. It fits over my shoulders. It just feels so good. And I can literally feel it kind of melting away some of that tension. And I think a lot of people own one of these that maybe they picked up at like a craft festival or something or somebody made it for them. It's like filled with corn or rice. The ones that are made out of corn, I've been told, can be kind of stinky, a little bit smelly sometimes. Yeah. But the one that I have actually has more of a lavender infused smell to it. Okay. And the smell does not like bother me at all. I have thought to myself for like a second after I pull out of the microwave, does this smell good? And then I put it on and then I like forget about it. You know, like it's not something that's going to linger throughout the house and like make you not want to use it. So we'll link to the one that I own in the show notes. But then the second thing that is my awesome of the week, especially this week as I've been struggling, is this stretching technique that I learned about on Instagram. So oftentimes I think when you stretch your neck, you kind of just 
go back and forth by tipping your head towards your shoulder, kind of moving your ears close to your shoulders you can get, and then going and doing that on the other side. That's fine and good, but there are these micro movements that you can add into that stretch that actually pull the stretch way up, like into your head, into your upper neck. And for me, that is the key to kind of releasing some of that tension because my sore neck pain, it really just radiates like all the way almost up into my skull. Yeah. So there's two micro movements that you can add to that very basic stretch. And the first one is to stretch your head or put your head towards your shoulder, like how you normally would, but then tilt your chin up towards the ceiling. And when you move your chin in that little movement, you can just feel it go right up into your neck. It feels so good. And then Mm -hmm. you can do that on the other side and repeat that. And then the other micro movement that you could add is you get ready to do your stretch, but then you tuck your chin back. Really give yourself like that classic double chin look. Tuck your chin back and then move your head over to the side, ear close to the shoulder. And that also will activate a stretch kind of higher up into your neck by your head. And I feel like my life was changed when I learned these little micro adjustments that I could make to these stretches to truly get in there. And it feels really, really nice. That is so good to know, especially, yes, as we are moving into a more stressful time of year or, you know, just some mornings you wake up and you just have a genuine crick in your neck and it's so nice to be able to just deal with it in a way that is gentle, it's relaxing and really brings you some relief. So that's super helpful. Thank you, Rebecca. Yeah. My awesome of the week is going to be kind of a throwback, but it's also something you can enjoy in its current form. And that is the podcast criminal. I know that on the surface, you're going to be like, oh, no, not for me. I don't like true crime. I don't have the same sort of weird obsession that Meg has with true crime. But you guys, let me just stop you right there. Because as we have been discovering and exploring together as a community, this sort of like sub genre in the crime realm that we have been affectionately calling low crime Mm -hmm. I feel like the podcast Criminal is kind of in that vein. Now, Criminal is not a new podcast. It actually launched in 2014. So it's been on a little bit longer than sort of awesome. The description of the show is very simple. It says Criminal is the first of its kind, a show about people who've done wrong, been wronged, or gotten caught somewhere in the middle. It's hosted by Phoebe Judge. Phoebe Judge has one of the most how can I say this, unique, warm, incandescent voices in all of podcasting. She has an incredible voice. And this is really an interview show. And so she talks to people who have experienced some kind of story in their lives that have something to do, however strongly or lightly, to do with some kind of a crime. The episodes are really short, and that's why I wanted to bring it up right now, because If you are kind of going into, as we move into the darker days and you are like looking for something that you can listen to because maybe you're not out and about as much, you want to put on something that you can binge, there are literally years worth of episodes. And I'm going to give you some of my recommendations here in a second. But I feel like Criminal has a cozy mystery vibe to it. Now, I will say some of the stories that are told are a little bit more on the actual scary crime part of (laughs) of the spectrum. But you can usually tell by reading the description if it's going to be that. 
Rebecca, you know, you and I both love the podcast Reply All, Mm -hmm. which has been on for many years. And as we've talked about when it comes to Reply All, Reply All is a show that is ostensibly about tech things and like the online world, but it's actually about humans and the human experience, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Criminal is the same way. These are people telling stories from their lived human experiences. And so ostensibly it's about something that's either true crime or low crime, but it's really about people and how they respond to the circumstances they find themselves in. And that is why I love this show so much in addition to the fact that Phoebe Judge is an absolute joy to listen to. So I'm going to throw it way back because some of my favorite episodes of Criminal are actually from years ago. So I'm going to give you three recommendations from the back catalog of Criminal. If you want to just check it out and kind of get a feel for the show in a way that is not going to be too true crimey for anybody. Well, and let me just clarify something real quick. So a lot of true crime podcasts will follow one particular crime over a series of episodes. But are you saying that criminal is like every episode is something new and something different? Yes. New story every week. Every now and again, every now and again, and Reply All has kind of done the same thing through the years because they're a new story every week. Every now and again, there'll be two episodes that are kind of connected to each other in some way. So like, listen to this first and then go listen to this one. But for the most part, it's a new story, a new interview every week. So yes, that was a good point to clarify for sure, because you're right. A lot of true crime is like either the whole series is one case or they'll do a whole season devoted to one case. These are just people's stories. Okay, the first one I'm going to send you to, I'm like still puzzled how this is on the show Criminal because the crime element is very minuscule. The crime part of the story is more like a civil misdemeanor than an actual crime. Okay. It's episode 15. This one dropped in January of 2015. So you guys were going way back in the stacks for this. It's called He's Neutral. And I don't want to spoil anything about the actual story here, except to say that there was a couple who lives in a neighborhood in Oakland, California. There was a problem happening in their neighborhood. And the storyteller in this episode, his name's Dan, he comes up with a solution that is so creative and so ingenious. And it turns into a whole thing that actually brings a community together. It's really good. If you just want like a really feel good about humanity story, again, so surprising that it's going to be on a (laughs) podcast called Criminal. But episode 15 called He's Neutral is so great. Now, another one that is not exactly uplifting, but I think it's a really great example of low crime and also exploring like, why do people do what they do? The complexities of human psychology is called, it's episode 51. This one dropped in September of 2016 and it's called Money Tree. And it's about a woman whose family was victims of identity theft back in the 90s before that was really known. Like, yeah, exactly. Before it was really, you know, now lots of us are constantly aware of we're checking our bank accounts online. We're we're making sure that there's nothing weird going on with our credit reports. But that, as you may remember, Rebecca, I know you're a little younger than me, but in the 90s, that wasn't really a thing that we thought about that much. So this woman, when she was a child, her family was a victim of identity theft. And as the story unfolds, the person who perpetrated this against their family, it's a total shocker and a total deep dive into like psychology and how and why do humans do what they do? So that one's really good. Now, I am going to give you one that is spookier. If you like 
low crime, nothing bad happens in this story, but it is spooky, then you will definitely like this episode. It's one of my very favorite podcast episodes ever. It is episode 71 of Criminal called A Bump in the Night. It's about a young woman who's about 20. She lives in a one-bedroom apartment. And on her very first night in her brand new apartment, she began to notice strange sounds and they didn't stop. And then the story, Rebecca, you're shaking your head. You're going to pass on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, literally this weekend, (laughs) I woke up to a strange noise at 530 in the morning and was scared out of my mind. And I think, I think it was my husband cracking his knuckles in his sleep. But like at the moment, I was like, what was that? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, that is a very, like you will not be able to put it down if you start listening to that episode. It's so good. Okay, so again, Podcast is Criminal. It's not new. It's one of those shows that I have in my subscriptions. I won't listen for a while and then I'll like spend a couple of days just binge listening to everyone that I miss because again, they're like 30 minutes. They're fascinating. I love it. Thank you, Phoebe Judge, for your work in this world. Okay. Those are our awesomes of the week this week. We have so much to talk about, about birth order, but I want to remind you that we will put links in the show notes so you can go check out our awesomes. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we want you to be part of our sort of awesome community so you can share with us what's awesome in your life right now. So come find us on Instagram or Facebook. We'd love to have you join our community. Rebecca, we've got so much to get to. We're going to talk all things birth order when we come right back. Hey friends, running to the store lately has been pretty stressful and there's nothing worse than forgetting something on your list and needing to make multiple trips. Shopping for home essentials should be easy and convenient and that's where Grove Collaborative comes in. Grove is the online marketplace that delivers healthy home, beauty, and personal care products directly to you. Grove takes the guesswork out of going green. Every product is guaranteed to be good for you, your family, your home, and the planet. We have been Grove customers for years and years, and this is one of my favorite times to be a Grove Collaborative member. Those fall seasonal scents from Mrs. Myers and more are keeping us clean and making us smell so good. And of course, there's the limited edition Grove Co. Sparks of Joy collection for all of your holiday goodness for your home, for your body. And this is when I start shopping at Grove for holiday gifts for our teachers and more. It really is a great time to become part of Grove Collaborative. You can join over 2 million households who choose to shop sustainably at Grove, plus shipping is fast and free on your first order. Choosing products that are better for you and the planet has never been easier. For a limited time, when you awesomes go to grove.com slash awesome, you will get to choose a free starter set with your first order. Go to grove.com slash awesome to get your exclusive offer. That's grove.com slash awesome. Today, many small business owners are busier than ever. Time spent searching for and interviewing candidates can take time away from managing and growing a business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get candidates worth interviewing faster and it's free. As Sorta Awesome has grown over the years, we've had a couple of opportunities to add to our team. I know that it can be an overwhelming process, but it doesn't have to be. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. You can focus on candidates with the skills and experience you need, 
use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people, then use the simple tools on LinkedIn jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. That's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster. Did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash awesome to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, Rebecca. Oh my gosh, you guys buckle up. Rebecca has taken this topic and she has exploded it into awesomeness for us. We have so much we're going to talk about. I'm thrilled about this because like I said, I think the timing is perfect. Lots of us are going to be around either our families of origin or our in-laws, perhaps our partner's families. This is an intersection of things I'm so deeply interested in because yeah, we're talking about our families of origin. As you know, and as we've explored together in our community and just personally in friendship, Enneagram theory also really looks at our families of origin, our growing up experiences, the ego defenses that we build to protect ourselves from our fears when we're children. I feel like this is like the perfect intersection, the mashup of those things that I'm completely fascinated with. You actually took it to the extent you're like, I'm going to do some reading about this. You put down your romance books and you picked up a nonfiction book. Tell us what you dug into to get a little bit more background info on this topic. Yeah, guys, I've read a nonfiction book. Like what? (laughs) I was telling Meg before we started recording, she had asked me if I've always kind of had an interest in birth order. And I told her that, okay, so the book that I read, or I at least read a lot of for preparing for this episode is called The New Birth Order Book by Dr. Kevin Lehman. And I told her that, I had that book on my to-be-read list way back when I used to pretend that I actually liked reading nonfiction books. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. So I finally did. I picked up the book and it was such a fascinating read. As I was reading through this book, I was like, I cannot believe that this is the first time we are going to be talking about birth order theory on Sword of Awesome, given how much it relates to personality. It's like a whole other almost like personality system. Right. And we've dug into most of them, I feel like, at this point. And Mm -hmm. there really is so much for us to cover when it comes to birth order. That is so true. And again, this is one of those things that I will admit, I kind of just have a pop culture understanding of it. I'm the oldest of four kids. We were all born in a very compact time frame, four kids in six years. As time unfolded, two of my siblings had different learning differences. And my youngest sibling is on the autism spectrum, which wasn't really widely known about when we were growing up. And so we take these flavors and and variances and those types of things. We're going to talk about some of that too as we go through this. But I definitely have interacted, but mostly from the perspective of being a firstborn. So I've examined the ways that I am a typical firstborn and the ways that I'm not and kind of thought about those things, but I've never read a book on it. So again, I feel like I'm really more pop culture oriented towards this topic. I would love for you, Rebecca, as we're talking about the pop culture understanding of it, 
to kind of give us an overview, like what is this idea of birth order? And then what are some of the stereotypes that are generally perceived about how our personalities grow shaped on what order we were born in our families? Sure. So Dr. Lehman is not the person who originally invented or discovered or started uncovering the idea of birth order, although I think he is the one that's like looked to as the main authority on it these days. But there has been countless, countless studies that have been done on birth order, which Dr. Lehman references a lot in his book. He's a psychologist. He has provided therapy to many people and has based his therapy practice off of this concept of birth order. So it's super fascinating. But I think when we tend to think about birth order and you just kind of, yeah, like this pop culture, like what are the memes that we have about birth order? Yes. I think we're often thinking firstborns are perfectionists and rule followers. The middle child feels forgotten or that they're unloved or maybe they're the peacemakers in the family. While the last born is spoiled, they're performers or they love attention. And that only child, man, that only child, man, they're just fully self-centered, have no (laughs) idea how to share. You know, like we have these really classic stereotypes. And you know what? They're stereotypes for a reason. (laughs) But it's deeper than that. So we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Okay. Well, I think it's so good that we're starting really broad and we're thinking about how much have we thought about birth order? Again, I've looked at it through the lens of being the oldest in my family in a family of four, which I think the number of kids going through the family being raised in the house at a specific moment in time definitely plays into it. I will say I've thought more about birth order since I became a parent and observing because our family is weird, you guys. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. I will fully (laughs) admit it's weird. We have our older two daughters who were, you know, it's a little bit more traditional, although Kyle and I, I don't know. It depends regionally what you're saying. Like Kyle was 30 when Daisy was born. I was nearing 30. So we started a little bit later in life. Again, your mileage may vary on what you think is a late start on having kids. So we had Daisy and then almost three years later, two and three quarters of a year later, we had aging. And for a while, we thought those two girls might be our only children. Then, you know, as I was approaching 35, we decided to try for a boy. We got the boy and his twin brother. And so that, you know, there was like eight and six years of difference between the girls and the twins. And then when the twins were six, then we added one more happy little blonde haired baby to our family, our youngest Nico, who's two now. So we have five kids, but we have these weird age gaps. The fact that we have twins in the mix is kind of weird too. So I've thought about it a lot more since I became a parent. Have you thought about it more as you've been looking at your family and the birth order in your family? Well, most definitely. So for me and for my siblings, I come from a very classic three sibling family. The only big variable with my family is that there was a 10 year age gap. Oh, okay. So my sister was born. And then two years later, my brother was born. And then 10 years later, I was born. So I've always kind of felt like I grew up 100% as the baby of the family and even as almost like an only child. And all these things, all these variables, they, (laughs) it's crazy how many variables there are to all of this. But when it comes to like my own family with my own children, 
I'm like you. I kind of just felt with my family, yes, it was very classic. My sister is a classic firstborn. My brother is a classic middle. I am a classic baby slash only. Like we all fit to a T. But then after we had my second child, I was really nervous about the idea of having a third because I had this fear in my mind that these third children grow up to feel like they're just unloved. They're never good enough. They're always overlooked. I was so nervous about ruining my son, Noah, that legit at his well check appointment before we had (laughs) Isaac, I said to my pediatrician, is birth order like a real thing? Like if we have another one, like we're thinking about maybe having another one. Am I going to ruin Noah? Please, will you like, and she was so kind and gentle with me. She, she's yes. like, listen, yes, there's some truth to birth order, but you're not going to mess it up. It's going to be okay. You're a good mom. You're intelligent. Yes. It's going to be fine. But I have to tell you, I worry about Noah feeling loved enough so much. I probably tell him more than the other kids that I love him. And he's always like, mom, I know. Yeah. You, uh, I, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm like, okay, I'm doing it right. I'm doing it right. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so cute. And so true. So true. I think that as we become more self-aware parents, we are more self-aware in our parenting. And so we're thinking about how these things play out. In fact, I will say, I put up a flash poll in our sort of awesome hangout group just to kind of get a temperature. Where is the hangout community on the idea of birth order? So I put four choices in the poll. I put one choice as being, I think birth order has a big impact on personality. I also said you could vote. I think birth order has at least some impact on personality. Then I said, okay, maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. I am skeptical that birth order has impact on personality. And then finally, I don't think birth order impacts personality at all. As of right now, by a pretty big margin, the majority of people who have voted said that they think birth order does have at least some impact on it. And then the next one is that some people think it has a big impact with a smaller number of people thinking that it has little to no impact. And people weighed in in the comments to talk about it. And again, these were all over the place. We had awesome Amy saying, I am a firm believer in birth order impacting most people's personalities. It's not everything, and there are exceptions, but it's definitely a component. All the way on the other end of the spectrum, we have Awesome Allie who said, I feel about birth order the way a lot of people feel about horoscopes. I think it's absolutely made up nonsense. (laughs) And so (laughs) we had a whole spectrum of people weighing in with both their personal you know, experiences with it. We definitely had some parents who have brought children into their family through adoption who are weighing in, like how does adoption play in? All of these things. And I think that that is the really cool and fascinating part about birth order is that there are so many different variables. And in fact, before we get into this conversation, I do want to make it clear, and I know Rebecca would want to say this too, as with everything personality type, which we do talk about a lot on Sort of Awesome, this conversation is totally not prescriptive. Like, You may recognize some of these traits in yourself because of your birth order. But I mean, for every conversation that we have about how birth order impacts people, I'm sure we can all think of exceptions like, well, so-and-so was a firstborn and they were totally the rebel of the family or whatever. We're going to be talking about, especially as we really dig deep into each of the sort of birth order types and personalities 
there's going to be strengths. There's going to be weaknesses that we're going to talk about. So a firstborn like myself may very well struggle with perfectionism and my own firstborn does too, or they may feel like they're never good enough, but also firstborns could feel like, you know what? I have a really healthy sense of wanting to strive for excellence in my life. So there's going to be good and bad things. And truly, as I just mentioned, there are so many variables that can factor into how your birth order does play out in your personality. Rebecca, talk to us about what some of these variables might be. Okay. So as I was reading this book by Dr. Lehman, I was really struck by all these variables because he would say that he would talk to somebody, find out what job they had, and then say, make a guess about what their birth order was. And then if he guessed wrong, then in talking to him, he would then be able to say, well, the reason why I guessed wrong was because of X, Y, and Z in your life. Okay. Almost in a way where I was like, does this really make sense? Like, I guess I have to admit that I was feeling like almost a little bit skeptical. Yeah. If you do not fit the stereotype for your birth order, there's literally like millions of potential reasons why. And part of me is like, well, but then does it matter at all? I don't know. Yeah. So that's the question that you can, after you are done listening, you can ask yourself, okay, so like, does this matter? Let's see. So here are some of the variables. The first one is spacing. So the age gaps between your children. Dr. Lehman says that if you have more than a four-year age gap, you actually kind of draw a line through the family and you're starting like a new family. So that would make sense with my family. That would mean that my sister and brother would be one set of family and then I would be kind of on my own, like a quasi-baby, but I'm also a quasi-only. Sure, yeah. And that that really does make sense. And then that would be happening a lot in your family also, too, potentially. That kind of every time you have a gap of more than four years, it's almost like a new family starts. Yeah, yeah, totally. So the sex and gender of each child can also make a difference. Dr. Lehman says that a true middle child, the most truest of true middle children, is one that is sandwiched between siblings of the same gender. So a girl, a girl, a girl. Because if you have maybe a girl, a boy, a girl, well, that firstborn might have some firstborn tendencies, but maybe that firstborn male is potentially treated differently, that he Mm -hmm. has different expectations on him just because of his gender, whether that's right or not, it does end up happening sometimes. So the gender and sex of each child can make a difference. Yeah. Also, Obviously, some physical, mental, or emotional differences can make a huge difference. A childhood illness or other special needs could greatly affect sibling dynamics, as well as sibling death. Deaths in a family can really shift birth orders, especially depending on the age of the children when the death occurs. Adoptions are a huge variable when it comes to birth order, so much so that I feel like even in mainstream In talking to families, I've had actual conversations with people in my real life that are talking about adoption goals that they have, hopes and dreams that they have for adoption. And many times I have heard parents hoping to adopt say things about the current ages and birth orders of their existing biological children and how they want that to play a part in the age of the child that they are hoping to adopt. Like I recall a family that was looking beyond infant adoption and was willing to adopt 
an older child, but they wanted their biological oldest child to remain in that firstborn role. So interesting. Yeah. Anyway, adoption can make a big difference. But then also when you're blending families, maybe through divorce and remarriage and you have step siblings, when you're blending families, there is no room for the parent to be able to step in and say, well, we want this firstborn to be the firstborn. You don't have any control over the ages of the children. Like they're already coming into the family. Yeah. Also, Dr. Lehman says that the birth order of the parents can make a big difference. Oh, yeah, definitely. I have thoughts on this when we get there. Okay, I'm going to hold my tongue right now. Well, I want to hear what you have to say. Dr. Lehman says that the birth order of the parent can cause the parents maybe over-identify with the child (laughs) of that same birth order and then put too much pressure on that kid. Or the opposite, you end up favoring that child and spoiling that child because you can identify so truly with their struggles. <laughs> okay, well, I'll just go ahead and insert this right now then before I forget about it. I have seen this, especially when we just had Daisy and AJ, our, our older two daughters. I call it Max and Ruby syndrome because I am the oldest and in a lot of ways, very typical older sister. My younger sister, Emily, who you know quite well, has had the audacity to say that I can be overbearing, <laughs> particularly when it comes to how we navigate family dynamics. My husband, Kyle, is the younger of two. And there's some complications in there with some pregnancies that were lost in between his older sister and him. But there's six years there. And so when our girls were little, they watched a lot of Max and Ruby, the animated series. We read a lot of the Max and Ruby books by Rosemary Wells. And, you know, Ruby is the older sister and she's a little domineering, but she's also trying to basically raise and care for Max, the younger brother. These are bunnies, everyone. If you're not familiar (laughs) with Max and Ruby, they're not real. They are bunnies, but very true to life in a lot of ways with these sibling dynamics. And so we both noticed, Kyla and I both noticed when our girls were little and it still kind of happens. I over-identify with Daisy and tend to protect Daisy and you know, like really identify with what she's going through. Kyle really identifies with AJ as the younger. Again, we have children after that, but this was really, it really played out when they were younger or before the twins were born that he would over identify with AJ and kind of stick up for her and I'm sticking up for Daisy. And so it would become this whole point of conflict between the two of us because we were projecting our own family of origin issues onto our children. It was a complicated thing. We still do it, honestly, to tell you the truth. Well, and family dynamics are complicated. They're so complicated. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so two more variables that can go into affecting the birth order. You have this in your family, Meg, and it's multiples. And so if you have multiples in your family, there is a whole section in Dr. Lehman's book. I recommend you check it out. But one thing that he says about multiples is there's still always one that's born first. And believe it or not, that first out still tends to take on the role as the first child. (laughs) That is so true with our two boys who are identical twins, literally born one minute apart. John Kyle, who was our twin A, is the more bossy and leader of the two. This was especially noticeable when they were younger. He has always hit all of his milestones first. He's bossy, but he's also very nurturing, not just to his twin, but to all of the kids in the family. And then our younger twin, Mac, our twin B, is definitely has a lot of younger kid characteristics. It is incredible to me that they can be DNA identical 
and be so different and see these birth order expressions. How fascinating. It truly is. And then lastly, the critical eye of a parent can make a huge difference on birth order. So the way that Dr. Lehman explains this is that typically what you have with a firstborn is, yeah, that they strive for perfectionism. They want to be people-pleasing. But if you have an overly critical parent, that can actually cause the firstborn to rebel against that. And they become more of like the middle child role. And then the second born takes on that first child personality. And he even has a name for it. He calls it the functioning first child. So part of me is like, okay, there's excuses why all these things possibly are different in every single family. You even have a label for it. You have the firstborn and you have the functioning firstborn. Uh So I keep going back and forth. Honestly, I keep going back and forth. I'm like, is this accurate? Or is this just a bunch of like, (laughs) we're just going to say whatever we need to say to have it make sense. I'm still a little on the fence. (laughs) Yes. As a good Enneagram 6 would be, you're a little skeptical (laughs) about all of this. Except that I pretty clearly see it playing out accurately in my own real life. So I guess I should be all on board. (laughs) Love that. I am so excited. When we come back, we are going to really take a deep look at each of these birth order identities. So we're going to kind of give some traits. Rebecca's going to share some of the things that she's learned as she's done the research. We have some questions that do come from Dr. Lehman's material that could offer some direction and maybe a little bit healing energy for people who have struggled with some of the weight and the burden of these birth order expectations. So we are going to get to all of that when we come right back. Awesome. Quick question for you. Are your thoughts running in endless circles in your mind? What if I told you that it only took a few minutes to change your relationship with stress and anxiety and transform your life for the better? That is the power of meditation with Headspace. Our thoughts can be confusing enough. Meditation doesn't have to be. Headspace is your convenient dose of meditation, mindfulness, and sleep exercises to relieve stress and anxiety and help you get a good night's sleep all in one app, making it easy to catch your breath and make time for your mental health. And it's one of the most science-backed meditation apps in the world, proving meditation works. Now, before I started using Headspace, and I've used it for almost two years now, I was really skeptical about what meditation is and if it could really make an impact impact on my life. Having used it consistently for so long, I can tell you it absolutely has changed my life. You really have to try it to feel the difference. I believe you can change your life too. So I've teamed up with my friends at Headspace so you can experience it for yourself. Let's give it a try. So either sitting down or lying down, just taking a big deep breath in through the nose and out through the mouth. As you breathe out, you can just gently Close the eyes and just feeling the weight of the body pressing down, allowing any tension to release. Imagining the muscles in the body just switching off, relaxing, letting go of any tension. Feeling the body sink deeper down to the seat or the floor beneath you. 
you can either gently open the eyes again or just leave them shut now. Wasn't that so great? So awesome. Find some headspace at headspace.com slash awesome and get one month free of their entire meditation library. This is the best headspace offer available. So go to headspace.com slash awesome today, headspace.com slash awesome. Okay, we're back. Let's just start with the firstborns. If y'all don't mind, let's talk about us neurotic firstborns. I do love this. A couple of weeks ago, my friend Julie, sort of awesome regular Julie Tupperman, we send each other TikToks back and forth all the time. And she sent me one. She's also a fellow firstborn. And it was basically just somebody saying, can you accept help or are you the eldest daughter? (laughs) And we both had a good laugh about that because truly, and Rebecca, you've worked with me on a team for six years. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. What are you? What except, are you implying? <laughs> yeah, accepting help. Not not my strong point. But truly, some of the traits of firstborns they tend to be a little perfectionist, maybe achieving types. They do tend to take on leadership roles. They can be a little bossy. They are responsible, motivated. Maybe the more conscientious ones in the family. Dark side. Sometimes they're controlling. They can be overly cautious, but generally the stereotype for the eldest in the family is that they're also really reliable. So Rebecca, dig into this with us. What are some of the highlights that you've learned about the firstborns of the oldest in the family? Okay. So like I said before the break, one of the biggest things that I found really fascinating was how much an overly critical parent can cause a firstborn to rebel. And then that second born takes in that functioning role as the firstborn child. So as you're looking at your own family of origin or your children, if you feel like, man, this really is not fitting, like our typical firstborn or the firstborn in your original family, then it could be because of perhaps some of these other variables that we were talking about. Maybe even your parents were just really kind of hardcore and pretty critical about things. Also, I will say that only children We'll talk about them. They have their own little section, but they do take on a lot of these same qualities as a firstborn. So onlys who are listening, you may identify with some of these things also. So there are two different kinds of firstborn children. There are the compliant nurturers. These are the ones who are model children who always seek to please, but they can sometimes then be easily run over by others in their life. Dr. Lehman even says that These compliant nurturers tend to attract sharks in their lives who are (laughs) who are willing to take a bite out of them. (laughs) Wow, that was savage, Dr. Lehman. (laughs) So you might be a little bit easily run over if you are a compliant nurturer. And then the other type are the assertive movers and shakers. And this is where you find your more strong willed children ones with really high goals who strive to be the top dog. Now, the reason why we tend to have these types of pressures that are put onto the firstborns is because everything about firstborns is important. Parents have never done this before, and so they concentrate all of their energy on the child, and everything that they do is agonized over (laughs) thought through. It's a learning experience for the parents. And they have all of the parents' time and attention and resources 
Statistically, firstborns walk and talk earlier than all their other siblings. It's from Hmm. all of that praise and encouragement and Mm -hmm. dedicated time with their parents. And unfortunately, parents tend to expect too much from their firstborns, which is why a lot of firstborns struggle with perfectionism. But Mm. firstborns are natural leaders. They have been groomed for leadership as children, being leaders of the pack, leaders in their family. They're being put in charge of their siblings. They're given the chores to do more often, first learning how to do all these things. So they're natural born leaders and they have a lot of leadership roles when it comes to their careers. In fact, there's a high percentage of politicians that are firstborns, including Biden and Harris. They were both firstborns in their families. And other firstborns, they excel in jobs that precision is really, really important. So things like doctors and surgeons and pilots, accountants, engineers, all classic jobs for firstborn children. Now, I do just want to share, too, some other strengths of firstborns that come from the new birth order book, just as a way to, like, soak in some extra goodness about being a firstborn. So they are cooperative and easy to work with, a good team player, always willing to do things right and leave no stone unturned to do a good, thorough job. They have everything under control, always on top of things, tend to be on time and on a schedule. They're ambitious, willing to sacrifice to be a success. They set goals and they reach them. They tend to get more done in a day than others. And planning a day is a must. And that is just a few of the strengths of a firstborn child. So fascinating. And it's so interesting to me as I'm listening to as a firstborn to think about how other personality components play in, like I'm an Enneagram nine. So yeah, I'm not the most productive person (laughs) here, but I do relate to a lot of that. Well, here are some questions that Dr. Lehman poses for firstborns to consider, especially as each of these, you know, sort of, I don't want to say personality types, but each of these roles, you know, as we grow up with them, how we can navigate finding balance in our lives. So here are some questions from Dr. Lehman. Am I involved in too many activities? Which ones could I give up? Do I know how to say no? Can I think of a recent example of saying no graciously, but firmly? How much of a problem is perfectionism for me? Can I state the difference between pursuing perfectionism and seeking excellence? Am I a slave to my to-do list or do I use lists to organize my life and keep it balanced? Have I forgiven my parents of any pressures they put on me while growing up? Can I honestly say there were privileges to being firstborn as well as pressures? So those are really good for reflection. Let's take a minute. You mentioned this already. So let's go ahead and just take a minute to talk about the only child. Daisy's best friend is an only child. And we've talked about some of the ways that only children and oldest children have things in common particularly both of them, her best friend who's an only and Daisy who's the oldest, are extremely comfortable with conversations with adults, way more so than my younger kids are. And her best friend also very easy, very naturally talks to adults. So I think it's really fascinating to talk about that only child dynamic. Some of the traits for only children can be that they're confident, they're conscientious, they're responsible. They also tend to be perfectionists. Only children either seek approval or seek to be the center of attention. They sometimes are seen as being really mature for their age. 
They can also be sensitive and also show a lot of leadership skill. And I do think that as you were talking about the oldest children, it makes sense that only children would also receive a lot of that early parental attention that's going to develop some of these similar traits. So it totally makes sense. Yes, exactly. Just the way that I said that they have all of their parents' attention and resources and praise for firstborns at the beginning stage of their life until that next little bundle of joy comes along for only children. It's that way always. And that can end up making only children very confident and articulate. But it can also mean that they can be a bit self-centered by nature since they never did have to deal with siblings and some of the struggles that come along with having siblings or even just simply having to go second sometimes in life. Now, Dr. Lehman touches on that the reason why a child is a firstborn can also end up making an impact in their personality some. So if there were fertility issues and there had been hopes for additional children, then you may end up being treated as more of like the special jewel and end up feeling overly important. Whereas if it was kind of always the parent's plan for just one child, then that child may be confident and cool on the outside, but inside feeling some sort of rebellion or rebellion at the need to be a little adult. Now, I will say that I kind of felt specifically in this section of Dr. Lehman's book, I thought it might have been like a little bit dated. I do think that Mm. we have seen a shift in parenting styles over the last few decades. And I kind of wondered if this was still accurate. If I'm just being completely honest, because I don't know, maybe it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. I don't know if it rubs only (laughs) the wrong way. Maybe I'm projecting a little bit. I don't know. I think that there are definitely some differences that have happened in parenting over the last few decades. And this is a little bit of an older book. This book came out in 1998. So, you know, it's been a while. So things may have Mm -hmm. shifted. We should have some grace here for that fact. Okay, back to the onlys. They are candidates for becoming ultra perfectionists. And the reason being for that is that they literally have no other role models in their lives other than adults, their parents, you know, and perhaps grandparents. So if you think about how much children look up to their siblings as Mm, an mm -hmm. example, and not just as an example of how they want to behave or who they want to become, but also kind of like setting the bar for standard life skills. So there's an example of learning how to use scissors, you know? Yeah. Think about you're like a preschooler and you're trying to learn how to use scissors and you're sitting at home and you're cutting out your like preschool homework or something or whatever, you know, and then you have trouble and you ask mom for help. And then mom comes in and she's been cutting and using scissors for like the last four decades or something like that. It's like a complete, like the bar is raised so high, you know, and it's raised that way in everything, in all the things, because the people that you have in your life to look up to, they all have decades of life experience on you. That is super fascinating. Yeah. So onlys tend to have the same kinds of jobs as firstborns, things that require precision It comes from that perfectionism in them. And I think that only children can kind of get a bad rap sometimes of being self-focused and not learning how to share. But let's just take a moment to soak in some of the goodness, some of the strength of being an only child. 
so they can trust their own opinion and they're not afraid to make decisions. They always do things right and leave no stone unturned to do a thorough job. They're ambitious, enterprising, energetic, willing to sacrifice to be a success. They set goals and reach them. They're known as straight thinkers and can be counted on not to be compulsive or go off the rails. Oh, that's good. That really makes sense and really jives with a lot of the only children that I have known, especially those who are on into adulthood. So here are some questions for the only child again from Dr. Lehman. Am I learning to bite off less and not expect so much of myself? What recent examples can I think of? Am I building time and space for myself into my schedule? Am I developing friends among younger or older people rather than people at my own age level? How selfish or self-centered am I really? What can I do to put others first, help others more, and be less critical? Do I understand and really believe that no one is perfect? Do I understand I really can't do it all myself? And what recent examples of depending on others can I think of? So good. Questions for reflection for our onlys. Okay, let's talk middleborns. Which again, this is so fascinating to me because depending on the size of the family, this might be one child in the family or like in our family, that's three, technically three Mm middleborns. And so these traits are going to be definitely expressed in different ways, depending on family size and the years in between, all of those things. But some of the general traits that we think of with middleborns are that they're really adaptable people. They tend to be really independent Sometimes they act as go-betweens and people-pleasers. Sometimes our middleborns are more rebellious. They might struggle with feeling left out. They might take up a peacemaker role, and they do tend to be highly social people as well. What are some other things that you've learned about those middleborns? Well, they can vary a lot. And here's a quote from Dr. Lehman in the birth order book that I think is really worth reading for everyone. The second born may be a pleaser or an antagonizer. He may become a victim or a martyr. He may become a manipulator or a controller. Any number of lifestyles can appear, but they all play off the first born. The general conclusion of all research studies done on birth order is that second borns will probably be somewhat the opposite. Of the firstborns. Well, yes, I can assure you I've seen that play out many times in life. Yes. So the idea is being that whatever direction the firstborn is going, you're going to see your secondborn shoot off the other way. Yes. (laughs) Other things that I've learned about the middle child is that they often hang out with peer groups more than any other child. And oh, interesting. And even sometimes it can be what parents would consider the wrong crowd. But they do. They tend to make friends more outside of the family and look to those friends for companionship more than other children in the family. Fascinating. Yeah, they're often good mediators and peacekeepers, which is why they tend to have careers in education or social work and public service. And studies show that middle children are the most secretive. They tend to keep their thoughts and their feelings kind of under wraps. And they are mentally tough and independent. In fact, they are the least likely to seek out therapy. They are most likely to be faithful in marriage. 
and they probably embarrass easily even if they don't show it. Huh. That is all so interesting to me. So back to them being the least likely to seek out therapy, it might actually be because they're the least ones likely to need it because they tend to be... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I could see that. They tend to be less anxious, less fearful than firstborns or onlys. And the reason behind that is that parents tend to be like the most worked up with their firstborns. And some of that anxiety, unfortunately, transfers over to the child. And then by the time the next kid is born and parents are a little bit more relaxed and therefore everything with that child ends up a little bit more relaxed as well. It kind of feels like a lot of pressure to get things right with the firstborns, if you ask me, which probably (laughs) just makes it all that much more worse. So much pressure to do it right the first time. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. But let's just take a moment to soak in some of the goodness of middle children. You know, they learned not to be spoiled. And relationships are very important. They make friends and tend to keep them. They're willing to do things differently, to take a risk, to strike out on their own. And they're peacemakers, willing to work things out, great at seeing issues from both sides. Plus, they can be trusted with sensitive information because they know how to keep secrets. Oh, Okay, that's interesting. Hmm, there's a lot going on there. But yes, so many great things about secondborn and middle children. Here are some questions that Dr. Lehman would suggest for reflection for this group of siblings. This Some questions would might be like, is being a middle child comfortable for me? How do I know? Would my friends and family call me secretive or open? How willing am I to seek help from counselors, doctors, and other authority figures? How do I really view my older sibling or siblings? Did they snowplow the roads of life for me, or did they make the roads even rougher to travel? If the latter, have I made peace with that and with them? If while I was growing up, I felt squeezed and that life was not always fair, how have I adjusted to that as an adult? Is that legacy a strength or a weakness today? So good things for the second born and the middle children to reflect on. Let's get to those babies of the family, Rebecca, the last borns. A lot to talk about here. Definitely babies of the family. I feel like compact with a lot of like pop culture and stereotypical identifications. I will tell you all that Nico lives up to every single one of them. <laughs> that little that little boy gets away with almost everything around here. <laughs> He bosses the twins around who are eight and they let him. (laughs) And so it's so funny to see these dynamics play out. But some of the traits for the lastborns, according to Dr. Lehman, are that they're social, they're charming. And if there has ever been a charmer, it is our youngest for sure. They can be outgoing. They tend to be relatively uncomplicated, but can also be manipulative. They also are comfortable seeking attention can sometimes be a little self-centered and also known to be a lot of fun. So, Rebecca, you last born in your family, tell us more about the last borns. Well, this is so interesting to me because we've made it very clear so much of this episode has actually come from the birth order book written by Dr. Lehman. Dr. Lehman himself is the baby of the family. And oh, interesting. His chapter on last borns 
had several, several pages that highlighted kind of like an autobiography of the path that he took in life. And I found myself zoning out and thinking, wait, how is this relevant? (laughs) He was talking about having this job and then going to school for this and then this job. And I started like skimming and turning pages (laughs) And then I get to the end when he like finally stops talking about that. And he's like, well, in classic last born tendency, I made this chapter all about me. But I think you can clearly see the life lessons of how being a baby played an impact on my life. And I was like, well, I didn't see because I skipped it, Dr. Lehman. I skipped it. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. Babies of the family, man, they like the attention. They like the focus. They are often the clown and the entertainment of the family, but they can also then be a bit temperamental, a bit spoiled, and a bit impatient. They are suckers for praise and encouragement. And as far as careers, they are often good salespeople. And some of the most famous comedians also happen to be babies of the family. Oh, interesting. Okay. Now, there was also a quote from Dr. Lehman that I thought was the most poignant Well, probably also I thought this because I am the baby of the family, but here's a quote from the book. It says, last borns carry the curse of not being taken very seriously, first by their families and then by the world. And many last borns have a burning desire to make an important contribution to the world. From the time they're old enough to start figuring things out, last borns are acutely aware they are the youngest, smallest, weakest, and least equipped to compete in life. After all, how can you trust little baby to set the table or pour the milk? He's just not quite big enough for that yet. (laughs) Yes. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is hitting a little too close to home for me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was like, this makes so much sense because I do. Now, when I look at my family, Again, my sister and brother are 12 and 10 years older than I am. They have a full decade plus of life experience ahead of me. And I often have compared myself to them and thought, man, they just have it all together, especially my sister, Mm. the firstborn. And Amy, I know you're listening. (laughs) Thank you for your support. But yeah, she's very precise. She's very put together. There's actually a quote in this book that talked about firstborns reading Consumer Report. And I laughed so hard because my sister once asked for Consumer Report for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought it was the most absurd, crazy thing, but also the most like classic Amy, my sister moment that she's ever had. And so I sent my sister a text message and I was like, I can't believe this book on birth order just talked about firstborns reading Consumer Report. But ultimately, what I'm trying to say is she's really good at adulting. She's really good at adulting. And I often have thought to myself, I don't think I'm that good (laughs) at adulting. And this makes sense. It makes sense. And it makes me think about how I parent. My youngest, Isaac, he's four right now. And it's like, you know what? Maybe I need to gently push more independence on him, give him more responsibility, and not be so easy on the baby of the family. 
That makes so much sense. And I do wonder too about those age gap things. Again, I think this is fascinating because I see it in my family. Like Nico is two and he does not even believe he's two. Like he wants to do and thinks he can do everything, especially the twins because they're the next ones or the other boys. He thinks he can lock doors. He climbs into the car seat. He insists on climbing into his car seat by himself. Like everything he wants to do it. And I do think he just wants to be like the older ones so much. But that is interesting. And I'm definitely going to keep that in mind, especially as they get older, for sure. So let's just take a moment to once again, soak in the goodness of these positive strengths of the last born child. They are likable, fun to be around, and really easy to talk to. They read others well and know how to relate and work well one-on-one or in small groups. They are caring, lovable. They're wanting to help. They appear relaxed and genuine, like they have no hidden agendas. And lastly, they are entertaining, funny, and they certainly know how to get noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so good. So good. So some questions for reflection for the last borns. Am I a mature adult or are people still saying or thinking, why don't you grow up? Part of growing up is learning to pick up after yourself. Do I have trouble with this? That seems really specific to okay, but like the last word to reflect on. Well, it hit me. Okay. Like I included it in the list for a reason, Meg. Okay. It hit me. Oh my gosh. That's the only, you know what? Literally, that is the only thing my mother is going to send me a text on about this episode is she's going to be like, see, I told you. I wasn't hard enough on you when you were little. That's why you're a slob. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> okay, getting back to these questions. If I have a love for the limelight, do I let it slip over into self-centeredness when I'm always thinking about me and not about others? Do I use my ability to make people laugh strictly to get attention or is it so I can make others feel good and enjoy life? Would people say I'm a good listener or do I just try to read people and not really listen to what they say? Do I need to improve my listening skills and take time to listen to others without thinking about what I'm going to say next? So some really good questions for reflection for the last borns. Rebecca, this has been so insightful. I do hope that people get a chance to listen before they get to their family gatherings for the upcoming holidays because there is really so much going on. In fact, I hope this spurs some great conversation with family members and siblings and friends and with your parenting partner as you think about how does this impact our lives. So thank you so much for taking the time to gather all of this and get it ready to share with the awesomes. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And guys, like I actually read most of a nonfiction book. Again, I just feel like I need to say that again. I'm so proud of myself. (laughs) All the gold stars, all the gold stars for Rebecca. Okay. Well, if you want to find Rebecca and talk more about birth order stuff or anything, Rebecca, where can we find you all around the web? (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm just still chuckling over here because of course, as like the baby of the family, those gold stars, like they mean so much to me. Oh, goodness. Okay. So my website is simplyrebecca.com. And my favorite place to hang out on social media is on Instagram at simplyrebecca. 
Okay, you can find me on social media at Sorta Awesome Meg. And like I said at the top of the show, you can find Sorta Awesome whatever social media platform you're on. Just search Sorta Awesome. We would love to have you join our online community. If you haven't subscribed to Sorta Awesome, do that now so you never miss an episode of all of the goodness that we put together for you guys. So Awesome, thanks so much for listening. We'll see y'all next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.